Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Well, just as Joey did on Emma's first birthday, I'd like to tell you a story. There were once two friends uh, with a lot of the same passions and love, and they wanted to start a business together. They had this great idea, and uh, it was destined to work. They had counted the cost, they weighed their options, and they basically looked at each other and said, you know, we've got to do this. It was going to be hard work, they knew, and uh, this business together uh, was going to require a lot of travel, so it was going to just require a lot of cost and commitment and meant time away from their families. Um, It was going to take a lot of determination, a lot of grit, and so they knew this going in, but they had this unexplainable pull and passion to do this, and so uh, with that compulsion, they off and started their business. Barry, yeah, like the name of Rachel's ex-fiance, Barry was a people person through and through. His biggest strength uh, was encouraging others. We all know the type, right? Uh, He was the guy uh, that seemed to have everything together. Um, uh, Always happy, always positive, had a beautiful wife and beautiful kids, uh, who were successful. Um, he, he was just like the nicest guy ever. We, we know the type. Um, he also had a lot of, a lot of money uh, backing this whole proposition. And so uh, he was a very generous uh, man. And he had a lot riding on this endeavor. Uh, super talented, highly motivated, level-headed people person. Uh, his friend's name was Saul. Uh, Saul was incredibly talented as well, highly motivated. Uh, drive and grit were like Saul's middle name. Um, he was definitely the type to take charge. He was a people person as well. Uh, if you're familiar with the Enneagram at all, he was probably an eight or maybe even a one on the Enneagram. Um, definitely more outspoken, maybe a little bit more charismatic, uh, more apt to be uh, opinionated maybe in your face a little bit more, but still a a great people person, a great salesman, an incredibly hard worker, a a perfectionist. Uh, Between the two of these guys, they were top shelf, incredibly talented, uh, incredibly motivated, very supportive families, uh, and they knew they had a product that would change the world. If anyone could do it, Barry and Saul were the team you know would be successful. And so they started out and everything went to plan. Uh, The business was really starting to grow. And it got to the point where they needed to hire some additional talent. And, And Barry knew just the person that they could bring on to the team. In fact, it was his cousin and his name was John. Uh, He was also uh, an incredibly sharp guy. He was young. He was ambitious. Um, He obviously had less experience uh, than Saul and Barry, uh, but he was loaded with potential. And so Barry introduced uh, uh, John to Saul. Uh, They liked each other right away. Um, And in Saul's mind, listen, if if Barry trusted him, uh, he was going to trust him as well. All Saul 
knew is he had his eye on the prize. He was going to make this thing work if it killed him. So, uh, at one point, the three of them uh, were on a business trip, and there was a lot at stake on this. The company had begun to grow, and if they were able to seal this deal, it was going to change uh, everything. And, and so they needed to be focused, and they needed to be diligent. And they knew uh, in order to make this happen, they would have to fly out to the opposite coast. Um, and if everything went perfectly, they would have one more leg of the trip overseas to Europe to seal the deal. Uh, so that was the plan. So so they, so they flew out um, and uh, they worked hard over the next several days with their pitch uh, to their um, a potential client and everything seemed to work perfectly. Uh, in fact, they were that close uh, to sealing the deal and so now uh, they had to schedule a trip to Europe. This was super exciting for them and so they booked their tickets, were getting ready to go and uh, it was a long, hard couple days but it was totally worth it. And so uh, that evening, uh, they went out to dinner um, and so the three of them went. They sat down in this, in this restaurant. They were, of course, uh, very happy because of the way things went earlier that day. And, um, and then and John gets a phone call. And so he excuses himself from the table. He goes and he takes uh, the phone call. And when he comes in, he tells the other two guys that he can't fly over to Europe with them. Now, at this point, Saul uh, is about to fly off the handle. He's frustrated uh, at John. Um, he sees this as immature and irresponsible. And, and Barry honestly can't help but agree. But again, being a little bit more mild-mannered and maybe a little bit more temperate and more measured, he doesn't say much in the moment. So the next morning, uh, Barry and Saul, they fly to Europe. They seal the deal. And honestly, in the end, everything works out. So six months later, another opportunity arises. And they're already stretched to the max. I mean, the business has been growing. It's been super successful. Uh, but this one would be a game changer. And they can't miss the opportunity. And they needed a team to go and get this done. And so as you could probably imagine what I'm about to, about to say next, uh, Barry says, hey, we need to take John with us. I mean, John, by this time, had grown a little bit more. He definitely had the next most experience behind uh, Barry and Saul. Um, but for Saul, this was a problem. I mean, he ditched them right in the moment where he needed him last time, and Saul just wasn't having it. He was not seeing this he has talent, sure, he knew that, but John was wasting it. He didn't feel like he was dedicated enough or motivated enough. So in Saul's mind, John just doesn't have what it takes to be a part of the operation. And things got kind of heated. You know, and we already know Barry's usually a mild-mannered man, but then we read in the Bible, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Okay, okay, I did sort of change the names and a little bit of the story, although I'll tell you the story is really, really close. I used the name Saul for the man we know as Paul. Actually, Paul's name used to be Saul, so that's not much of a stretch there. 
I used the name Barry short for Barnabas. I mean, because what else would you shorten Barnabas to? Uh, plus, it's a friend's reference, as I already said. Uh, and then third, John is actually the correct name too, except the Bible sometimes calls him John Mark or even just Mark. Today, I want to talk about conflict. Actually, the word I'm going to use most is the word disagreement. And I want to explore what happens today when you come to the place that Saul and Barry came to in Acts chapter 15 and verse 39. You see, whenever we're in relationship with other people, it's inevitable that at some point you're going to come to a place of disagreement about something. And it could be a close friend. It could be an acquaintance. It could be a a church partner. It could be a family member. It could be a pastor. Uh, But... We all know, whoever it is, that disagreement is a part of life. And granted, some of us do better with it than others. I do think the whole personality thing does come into play. Uh, some people are just generally more agreeable in, nature's, in nature than others. But right now, Right now, wherever you are, I would love for you to do something for me. I want you to look at your spouse or your kids or whoever you're watching this service with right now and decide who is the more agreeable one of the two of you. Go ahead. Right now, go ahead and decide who is the most agreeable out of the two of you. I'll wait. So yeah, that's interesting because it's possible um, that you are disagreeing about who's the most agreeable at this point, right? Um, but listen to me, uh, today, today in looking at this, I want to push past the personality piece. And truthfully, what I've learned over the years is that everyone, even the most agreeable of personalities comes to a breaking point. They come to a point of no return in which they are just done disagreement over. I'm right. I know I'm right. And I've got to stand up for what is right. And my challenge for us today, and what I want to look at, is how do we respond when it gets to that point? How do we respond when it gets to that point where there just seems to be a standstill, the contention and the disagreement? So the subtitle of my message today is uh, The One Where They're On a Break. So those of you who are a fan of the show Friends know that this line and this theme runs through the entire season of Friends from the end of episode, uh, from the end of season three all the way through the last episode of the entire series. I mean, it's actually a meme at this point. And for those of you who don't follow the show, have no idea about it, that's okay. I'll, I'll set it up for you super quick. It's, it's um, basically the idea. There are two characters and friends, Rachel and Ross. And there's a spark between them from even the earliest of days, even in high school. And of course, now they're post-college and making their way in the city. So they have this, this re- interesting relationship. And um, And truly, it's the most beloved relationship on the show throughout the years. And so you have uh, people rooting for them all the time. But um, they live in this constant tension regarding a misunderstanding of whether or not they were on a break from each other, if they had broken up for a little bit or not, when they decided to mingle with other people. And so Ross's classic line, we were on a break! 
has become a humorous uh, and iconic epitome of what is inevitable about relationships. Disagreement, conflict, misunderstanding. And we find ourselves here looking at Paul and Barnabas today. And what could we learn from that? And so first, I want to just talk about them as individuals for a second, um, just to provide some context. So, so Paul, or Saul in my story, is literally possibly the greatest champion of Jesus and the Gospels of all time. I mean, his work literally changed the world. His writings dominate the New Testament. He's the one from whom most of our Christian doctrine is gleaned from. And we don't know this for certain, uh, but it's most likely even he was martyred for his faith. I mean, there just aren't enough superlatives to describe this man. He was wise. He was certainly anointed by the Holy Spirit. And ironically, he wrote many of the rules to us about how we ought to live in relationship with others. And then there's Barnabas, who I affectionately call Barry. Uh, he's a name that's much, much less recognized. In fact, this might be your first time ever hearing uh, of Barnabas. So love to tell you a little bit about him. I mean, he's mentioned about 30 times, actually, in the Bible throughout the book of Acts and, and in some of Paul's writings. Uh, his real name actually was Joseph, uh, but he got this nickname, Barry or Barnabas, uh, because it means encourager. Uh, he was just a good person through and through, a person who encourages others. You know the type. It's the type of person you want to be around. Um, we know that John Mark is his cousin. It tells us that in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10, actually. Uh, we also see in Acts that he was bold. In order for them to take up these missions of going and spreading the gospel, because that was their business, he and Paul teamed up and went and to spread the gospel uh, throughout all the nations. And so he was bold in his faith. He was generous. The Bible talks that he sold his land and gave it to the apostles' work. We find that in Acts chapter 4. Uh, and then when he was called into this work, he financed it himself. Uh, we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, he was a bridge builder. Um, so, so he vouched for Paul in front of the church when there was a lot of skeptics about Paul. You see, because Paul, when he was known as Saul, actually was a persecutor of the church. He hated people who were Christians, and so he persecuted them. He would put people to death. So obviously, there was some uh, skepticism about Paul joining the ranks of uh, Christians later on, and Barnabas, the Bible tells us, stood up and vouched for him in front of the church. Um, he also vouched for John Mark. Throughout his life, we see several instances of this. Barnabas, all in all, was just a good man, also filled with the Holy Spirit. But obviously, he and Paul had different opinions about various things, uh, and they even called each other out for it. And we find this right in the passage we looked at this morning, Acts chapter 15, verse 39, where it says their disagreement or their contention was so sharp that they separated So I think for me, 
One of the most striking and maybe humbling things about this passage is that from every indication, these were two very good, very godly men. They love God with their whole heart. They give everything to serve him. They venture out and leave so much behind. They sell what they have. They wanted to further God's kingdom on earth. Good, godly people. And yet they find themselves at a crossroads of disagreement. What would they do with it? And more to the point, what should you and I do with it? What can we learn when we find ourselves in a similar situation? So let me ask you this question. Again, this is going to be a discussion question in a second. What do people tend to do with conflict? Or I'm going to propose four things. Now, there are maybe several things. Uh, we probably know two of them right off the bat. But you do any Google search, right, which is what I did. Hey, what are some typical responses? I'm coming up with four uh, that people do when they uh, get to a point of conflict in a relationship that they might have. And then you're going to discuss really quickly which one you think that you uh, typically go to. So, so the first one is flight, right? When, when we come up against conflict, many people will run from it. We avoid it at all costs. So flight is the first response. The second thing is, you know, fight. And by fight, I mean sometimes we get aggressive for this thing uh, to the point of harsh words, maybe even physically. We see this when we come to contention or disagreement. Uh, someone will really fight. Uh, the third thing I think people may do is freeze. It, this point of contention becomes so great. This disagreement becomes so uh, great that it paralyzes you. You might not know what to do next? You might just freeze. You're not sure. It paralyzes everything about your life. And four, you could become passive-aggressive. Uh, passive-aggressive uh, basically maybe would mean you're going along with something, but you're really not sure. In fact, you might even disagree with it, and so you kind of undermine it along the way. You're just passive-aggressive about this thing. So flight, fight, freeze, and being passive-aggressive uh, really quick. Again, talk to that person you're watching this with, or at least think in your mind, what's your first initial reaction? What is yours? So what do you do with conflict? What are your tendencies? And at this point, I'd like to bring up one of my main points, and that's this. Healthy disagreement is possible. Healthy disagreement is possible. Over the past 12 months, I think one of the most discouraging things for me has been to see how people don't know how to disagree in healthy ways. It's one of the heartbreaks I've seen through this uh, pandemic time, um, in this time of great political discontent, um, and it's prevalent in the church as well, and it always has been. But again, for me as a pastor and as a person who loves the church, it breaks my heart to see people in the church who don't know how to disagree in a healthy way. And I'm going to speak directly to you. If you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you, I need you, I implore that we must lead the way 
with what it means to disagree in a healthy way. In fact, in fact, we believe in this so much that it's one of our church values. It's one of the things that we ask our church partners every year to consider this statement. It's value number four, and it says this. In relationship with others, I will work to show compassion, extend forgiveness, and pursue reconciliation when a conflict or hurt surfaces between me and someone else. We ask our partners to affirm that every single year. Why? Because it's one of those things that can destroy a place. It can destroy a church. So my question is, are you trying to live that out? Are you taking that seriously? And I'm telling you, church, we need to. And this is where I'll say again, do you know yourself? Do you know your tendencies? Do you know what you typically do at that point of contention? How do you respond? I love what Andy Stanley says in regards to how to move forward. When you're not exactly sure, when you're at this point um, of wrestling uh, in your spirit, and a lot of times that has to do with our disagreements with other people, he says this, when all else fails, ask this question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? And I'm talking the 1 Corinthians chapter 13 type of love, right? This phileo love, this brotherly love. And that whole chapter, it's called the great love chapter of the Bible. And it has all of these things. You could be great at this. You can do this. You could prop yourself up with this. You could show this in one hand. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. So again, how can we move forward in healthy disagreement? I want to bring some practical tips for you this morning. The first thing I would say is this. Clarify exactly what the disagreement is about. To start, clarify exactly what the disagreement is about. I see this all the time, and it gets to the point where it sometimes becomes comical that I think people start disagreeing and arguing, and they're not even really sure what they're arguing about. It's really important for us as we start to know exactly what we're even talking about. And it's okay. We need to give permission to disagree with each other right from the outset. Sometimes it's helpful to ask a trusted third party to come in for wisdom and perspective because we might just need to clarify, okay, this person's saying this, this person's saying this. You might even be saying something close to the same thing. We just need some help figuring that out. The other thing I would say when it comes to clarification and please, I beg of you, don't ever say, well, this person said this, or I heard this. That just undermines everything about this reconciliation process, about moving forward. Don't allow gossip to be a part of that conversation. Work with what you know to be true. Work within what you are feeling and be able to confront that with that person. Clarify exactly what the disagreement is about. Number two, I would say this. Act temperately. Act temperately. Be in control of your responses, maybe is another way to say that. Be in control of your responses. Um, the Bible says a soft answer diffuses anger. We see that in the book of Proverbs. We also see the Bible says be really quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because anything else doesn't promote healthy response. So let me say that opposite. 
If you don't take the time to listen, if you're really quick to just speak up about your opinions and your thoughts, um, chances are, and if you really get quick to be angry, the chances are that the person is going to respond in an unhealthy way. Be careful about putting the person down. Watch your words. Above that, watch your tone and your tenor and even the environment is everything. Get to a place that you could be alone and quiet, not coming off another tenuous conversation possibly. Be very conscious of that when you get to that spot. And listen, don't be afraid to let someone know that your feelings are hurt or that you feel disrespected. So act temperately, be in control of your responses. Number three, and this one's a hard one. Believe the best about someone. Give the benefit of the doubt. And again, this is really, really hard. But do your best to believe that the person has your best intentions in mind. Now we know, we know. It's possible that they don't. It's possible that they're being vindictive. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But please, try to err on the side of generosity. That's something our elders talk about all the time within our meetings. We're going to try to land on the side of erring on generosity. The other thing I would say is give up easily. Give up more easily than you do. We all need to work on this. I'd love to take a little sidebar here for just a second, though, and say, listen, if you are not in a place of leadership, maybe you have boss or bosses that are over you at work. Maybe this is in response to a leadership team or a pastor at a church or at any other kind of of place where you are accountable to a leader. Give those leaders the gift of grace. Give those leaders the gift of grace. Listen, we know a good leader is going to listen. They're going to try to be understanding, but at the end of the day, they have to make calls, and it's going to be something that you might disagree with. They're the ones that have to protect the mission at all costs. So please give them grace, which leads me to the final thing. Sometimes we just then need to let it go. Just let it go. We've said our piece. We've done it temperately. We've given the benefit of the doubt and we've clarified exactly what the issue is and then we just have to let it go. And so the main takeaway today here is this. Healthy disagreement is possible when unity and love are held high. I'm going to say that again. Healthy disagreement is possible when unity and love are held high. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this, and this is Paul writing, by the way, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? Love. Eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Healthy disagreement is possible when unity and love are held high. And so what's the end of the Saul and Barry story? Well, it may be different from what you're expecting. 
So the friend's story of Rachel and Ross has a happy, reconciled ending, which we see in the final episode of the series. But the story we find in the Bible is a little bit different. You see, Saul and Barry broke up. They parted ways. They each stood for what they believed in and they went a different direction from each other. Saul ended up taking a new partner. His name was Silas. And they became a power team for Jesus all around the world in their travels. Barnabas decided to stick it out with family. He called John Mark back up and they became a team for Jesus. And they began their new venture to bring the gospel around the world. And here's what's really interesting about this story when you think about it. They parted ways and the purposes of the gospel were actually furthered because of the disagreement. You think about that? What was once one team that came to a crossroads broke off into two teams that made a humongous, lasting impact on the kingdom of God in this world. So what do we know about what happened in their relationship? Well, the truth is we don't know much. As far as I can tell, uh, Paul and Barnabas are never uh, spoken about again together. I don't know if they saw each other again Um, But I will say this, I have every reason to believe the best about them as we can clearly see their humility and grace for people and their love for Jesus. I believe they just simply saw things differently and went on and did the work. And here's the other interesting thing that comes out of this story. Paul and John Mark, the one who the whole disagreement was about in the beginning, come together and work together again Maybe a little more humbly at this point. Certainly more experienced. And we see Paul talk about it on his deathbed, basically. The last uh, chapter of the last verse, uh, sorry, the last book that he writes, uh, 2 Timothy, uh, he says this, Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. That's amazing. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, he said, uh, Paul writes, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. We see here at some point, Paul and John Mark working together. He became a really helpful piece of Paul's ministry in the story that Paul writes in bringing the gospel to the world. In fact, so much so that we find the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament written by this man, John Mark. The one who Paul parted ways with and didn't think would amount to much at all. I don't know that any person wins And the same is true in our disagreements. Does anybody win? Mm, That's not the point. The point is, God's kingdom wins here 
And there could be nothing better than God's kingdom winning in the hearts and lives of people. I say the same is true in your own circle of friendships, in your own relationships, in this church. Let God's kingdom purposes be bigger. So, maybe healthy disagreement goes a lot farther than we ever thought it would. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this wisdom and this friendship and this story we find in your word. I pray that it would be something that we reflect on, that we remember Because God, we want nothing more than for your kingdom to come here on this earth and to live and to rule and to reign in our hearts. And I want to be the first. God, may you give me a spirit of grace and truth and the ability to work that out in disagreement with others. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.